I need to do this better. Wow, that's so cool. And welcome to All Through a Lens. This is a podcast about film photography, where we discuss a little more than just film photography. I'm Vanya. And I'm Eric. On this episode, we're cutting right to the chase. We've got the answering machine, as always, and then we're fluttering back to the 1860s to tell you all about Julia Margaret Cameron and her weird and ethereal photos. We'll be talking to photographer and model Sarah Jean Acor, and we've got some zine reviews. But before any of that, Vanya, how the hell are you? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, it's been oh, quite a few, <laughs> quite a few weeks. Um, I basically took just about three weeks off from surfing uh, from the wow. last time. Discussed how I like kind of threw my back out. <laughs> uh, threw my back out. <laughs> is, that, is that feeling better for you, Grandma? <laughs> yeah, it is. So I went surfing today. Been kind of a <laughs> bummer being out of the water because we've been getting like pretty consistent swell. <laughs> back to back. So it's been pumping out and I'm like, oh, I don't think I should surf. <laughs> I kind of need to heal. So that's <laughs> what I've been doing. But over the holiday, Marley got a pair of roller skates and she's been super into roller skating. So we've been kind of doing little roller skating trips. She's actually practicing every single day, super into it. And that's really exciting for me because then I have somebody to skate with. So not a lot of photographing. I did have a couple things going on and hopefully those will start popping up soon working on my zine just Mm -hmm. a tiny bit tiny bit it'll happen (laughs) uh so yeah it's been it's been good how about you what have you been up to well i have been i've been doing the winter Mm -hmm. shooting uh in seattle like i was talking about for the past several episodes that's still going on i've been shooting mostly on weekends which somehow worked out where it wasn't raining a lot and that always made shooting pretty easy but the last couple of weekends it's been raining a lot yeah you guys have definitely been getting a lot yeah it's been pretty crazy but i've still been going out shooting in the rain is one thing of course i mean photographers have shot in the rain for as long as there's been photography but shooting in like a driving rain with a four by five camera is kind of a different experience yeah and you know everybody knows that nobody that lives in seattle actually owns an umbrella so umbrellas are for tourists (laughs) We just don't do that. But even so, I mean, I wouldn't know what to do with an umbrella if I had one there. (gasps) Umbrella tripod. (laughs) I should. I should get another (laughs) tripod for my umbrella. No, I I just, so I just kind of do what I can. And some of the shots got some water damage from the rain, which is uh, something I've never experienced before. But more, more than anything, I think I'm just kind of enjoying it. I've always enjoyed walks in the rain. And shooting in the rain is kind of similar in a way, except that you're not walking and... Everything you're doing could be destroyed by rain. So <laughs> it sounds wonderful. <laughs> almost exactly like that. And on those excursions, I've been using a lot of x-ray film and I've been trying to figure out exactly how to develop it. And I've got that that weird, creepy dark tent that I've talked about before. <laughs> yes. I'm getting more and more used to that. Uh, but I've I've kind of nailed the x-ray film, at least as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I'm yeah. shooting it at, at 25 ISO and developing it in Rodinol 1 plus 100 for three minutes or four minutes, and I'm shuffling in this Yankee thing. I have this whole mental and, I guess, slightly physical process that's going on yeah, with this he's developing. Yeah, by the way. He's, got, he's gone next level, you guys. <laughs> if anybody is incredibly, like, really seriously interested in this, drop me a line. I If you I'm have sure. half a day. <laughs> I'm sure I can be of some assistance, or maybe you could be of some assistance to me. <laughs> so now that we've covered all that and what we've been up to, let's check our answering machine. Yeah. So what was the question that we asked the listeners to call in about this time? Do you listen to music while you shoot? And if so, what? Does music affect how you shoot? We got a lot of response to this one, so uh, go ahead and push the button. Okay. Hello, no one is available to take your call. Please leave a message after the tone. This is Andrew Harvey or AW Harvey Photo on Instagram. I don't 
really listen to music normally when I'm taking photos, I feel like I still am in my head a bit about choosing things and, and making the right decisions and slowing down, and I don't find that music helps with that. I also have two kids, and really I fit my photography in wherever I can, and so I'm always in a bit of a rush, and so <laughs> I don't really get to think about music. I do listen to music when I am driving and scoping out locations, sometimes with my younger son, and so that's really whatever I'm listening to, but generally something a little bit kind of bit vibey, uh, maybe a bit jazzy, um, but it's not really affecting my photography so much as, as just helping me get in the right space of mind. I kind of had a feeling that a lot of people were going to answer that like that. <laughs> yeah, I think, and, and that's true. I've listened to these. They, they did. There is a lot of that, but I think there's going to be a little bit of pushback. I think that getting yourself in the right frame of mind with music, I think that with the right frame of mind for shooting, that's, mm-hmm. music is doing that. And I think that's a cool thing. Yeah. And yeah, not listening to it while you shoot, fine, but it is helping. And I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think so too. Hi all through Lens, Dave Walker here, first time caller from the UK. Uh, I don't listen to music while I'm out shooting. I find that having sounds in my ears interferes with how I see things. I can't easily compose a photo while I'm listening to music for some reason. I'm the sort of person who turns the radio down to part of my car. Other places I do use music in photography. I uh, recently started listening to music while I developed film. Um, I used to do it in silence, and I don't mind that. And then one time I tried doing it listening to Dove Party, and that didn't go well at all. Uh, so now I've, I've started listening to music, and that's that's good. Uh, but I've always listened to music while printing in the darkroom, interestingly. So I put the radio on, um, Planet Rock or something, and um, the hours just disappear. Different situations need different uh, sounds, I think. It kind of reminds me of like when you're in school, like a lot of people can do homework and they can listen to music and other people just cannot. And it's the same thing. It's like concentration, you know, having those outside. Like if someone's talking to me in the car and the music's on, I have to like turn it down because I'm like, I can't concentrate. (laughs) There's too many noises. (laughs) Can you park without turning your music down? Of course. I can park with my eyes closed. (laughs) Please don't do that. Hi, Vanya and Eric. It's Billy Sanford. I do not listen to music while shooting or developing. I do listen to podcasts. I've heard other people say when they're shooting they like to hear the ambient noises, either to put them in the moment or for safety reasons, as Danielle mentioned. Like Eric, I'm often shooting in places where either there aren't any people or I can see them coming. Uh, Most people I've heard talk about it say they do listen to music while developing. And it seems odd to me because I do love music and it's played such a big role in my own life. But with podcasts, aside from the learning and entertainment aspects, I do think that the sounds of people talking has been nice during these days of isolation. Stay safe, everyone. It is nice to hear other people experiencing what's happening right now in the world. <laughs> yeah, it is. Every podcast I listen to, there's there's always something about what's going on, whether it's just like just we're doing things a little differently now or just directly about what's going on. And it kind of makes you feel a little less alone. I like it. When I'm in the car, I always have music on. But once I've arrived at a place where I'm going to take pictures, I uh, don't listen to music. I try to uh, listen to the sounds that are going on in the environment, whether that's the wind blowing or birds chirping or traffic noise. And I can use that to either um, help me express the mood of a place or if I don't want to express that particular mood, like if it's a bunch of traffic noise and I want my picture to be quiet, I'll keep that in mind or, or the opposite while I'm shooting. So I just let the environment influence my pictures rather than music. Oh, it's nice to hear from Denise. It's been a while. Yeah, welcome back. <laughs> I I completely and fully yeah, agree. This is this was essentially my answer put in a much more <laughs> succinct and uh, a better worded way. <laughs> as you'll see, I am not as brief. Hey guys, Mike here. As much as I wish I could give you a really cool answer, like maybe I'm listening to '80s hair metal while I shoot or something, I'm not because I normally shoot people. And I would rather be interacting with that person and talking to that person. When I'm not shooting people, I'm shooting downtown. And I think you need to be really, really aware of your surroundings. So, nope, no music for me. I think what he said about, you know, having really, really cool music on, like, 80s hair metal. I'm going to have to agree with that. (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, at first I was like, eighties, no, eighties hair metal. I'm like, you know, no, that was that's my childhood right there. I can't deny that. That's <laughs> that's obviously how he wants to shoot, and you want to connect with people. When Alexia took my photo, she put some music on to kind of mellow out the mood a little bit, and I think I needed that because I was a little nervous. Didn't you pick the music? Well, she asked. Yeah. She's like, "Do you like this?" And I was like, "Yeah, I do. Let's do this." What was it? Uh, I think it was Julia Jackson. Fair enough. Hey, this is Dan Tree. Instagram is Dan Tree Photo. I guess it, for me, it depends on what I'm shooting. If I'm out taking photos out and about, typically I don't listen to music because I want to be aware of my surroundings. So whether or not I'm in the woods or in a bad part of town, I try to be aware. But if I'm in the studio with somebody I'm shooting with, I tend to have music to kind of help everybody relax. And definitely when I'm in the dark room, I've got music playing. Same, darkroom music is the best. It kind of helps me like with time too, because if I put a playlist on, then I know like, oh my God, like the whole playlist is over. I've been in here for a while. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I keep track of a lot of my life on how long the songs are. Everybody's so responsible being aware of their surroundings. I appreciate that, which is good. I mean, I understand that, of course, you know, mountain lions and stuff. You got to watch out for the mountain lions. (laughs) Exactly. I find music very inspiring. It informs a lot of what I do. It uh, sometimes literally, word for word, it inspires my photography. But I find it extremely distracting when I'm shooting. And I only do it when the model or subject really prefers it. Otherwise, it just uh, gets in the way to me. That said, it does really inspire me when I'm driving to a shoot or location. Jamie Maldonado, Jamie M. Photo. Thanks. I actually had a zine idea I would still like to do, and it was uh, a song. Yeah. And I wanted people to listen to the song and flip through the zine while they listen to it. I thought it would be like a really cool mashup of like a beautiful song that I absolutely adore and then pictures to kind of like match up what the song meant to me. Yeah. Would you, are you willing to say what the song was? Yeah. Would you like to say what the song was? Yes. <laughs> Could you please state the name of the song? I can't remember what it's called. (laughs) (laughs) There's so many. I'm sorry. It's a Roger Waters song. Was this Last Refugee? Oh, yeah, Last Refugee. That's what it is. You should. uh, If you guys haven't heard Last Refugee, I would definitely listen to it. It's so beautiful. It's a very beautiful song, and I'm glad that I'm here to help you out (laughs) in your time of need. Hi guys, Jeremy Kalo here, jeremy.kalo on Instagram. Do I listen to music while I'm taking photos? Uh, Usually no, because I tend to be in areas where I don't want any hungry carnivorous nature friends to sneak up on me. That being said, I do listen to music a lot while I'm traveling to locations, and that has definitely influenced my choice of subjects or my compositions. As an example, this last fall, I was listening to a lot of psychedelic music, and so when I was out in the smoke, that really pushed my subject matter to be more ethereal focused and less specific grand landscapes. Anyways, that's me. Thanks, guys. I love that. Yeah. Do you let music affect you like that? I guess we'll get into it, I suppose. But Yeah, definitely. I don't know that it does for me. I don't know. I think it it pulls those like emotional strings for me and that changes the way that I feel and see things sometimes. So. Hey guys, this is Freddie from Italy. Music. Well, uh, my latest scene was pretty much based on music, but I, I always have a pair of headphones on me with a camera, without a camera. Don't have any particular music. It just goes. I just put my iPhone on random and then, you know, whatever suits me at that time. It could go from, you know, indie rock to techno to, I don't know, death metal or anything like that. So it's pretty random, but it's always with me. And I love music and, you know, it warms my heart. Like, I love going around with a camera music because I never feel alone. I always have something that um, doesn't make me feel alone. Cheers. Eh, buona festa. Yes. Zine is awesome. Zine is wonderful. And <laughs> yeah, it really is. We, we reviewed it a few episodes ago. Definitely worth picking up. Using music to not, so that you don't feel so alone. I think that's, I think it's a big reason why I listen. Also to get me through like certain roads too. Like sure. the And Justice for All Metallica <laughs> album is the album that i drive when i go up the curvy road the 18 and what do you listen to on the way down oh um it doesn't really matter (laughs) it's just on the way up (laughs) okay it's it's good to have standards really 
Yo, what up my dudes, Tiff and Sinclair on Instagram. So barring the various risks associated with wearing headphones and jamming out to some sick tunes while out on a photo walk, I'm gonna say that I do not listen to music while taking pictures for the sole reason that doing so gets the endorphins running and a pumping, which results in me thinking that every composition is hot fire when that's honestly not the case. So I burn through a roll all quickly and then when I get my negatives back, I'm like 85% disappointed with the images. And of course, I'm not to blame. In my defense, I was distracted by the deftones. <laughs> I mean, fair. <laughs> There's a, a white, a big old white pickup truck sitting outside on my street, and the only sticker, like literally the only sticker that's on it, is a it's a small little vinyl Deftones sticker. I've <laughs> never, I've never heard the Deftones. Yeah, it's a little bit past your time. Is more my time. <laughs> I, I listened to them today oh, for did the first you? time. <laughs> and I was I don't know what song it was, but in the video the the singer seemed simultaneously surprised and incredibly bored that he was there. <laughs> Musically, it's I have, I have no idea. I don't remember it at all. <laughs> I'm sorry. But that said, if you don't follow Tiffin, her feed is really wonderful and I really appreciate and was ridiculously confused about her podcast, which exists I think only in in Instagram stories. No way. Just check it out. It's uh, it's a bit of fun. I hope, <laughs> I don't know if she'll ever do a podcast, but if she does, it'll be pretty fun. Well, I mean, we've kind of answered these a little bit as we go, like we always do, but we've got a lot more to say because it's our podcast and why not? So, Vanya. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, so I definitely, I make playlists specifically to listen to on the road. I will compile certain songs for certain parts of my trip, which I explain the Metallica album. <laughs> I honestly like any kind of like really like something that will get me through the chaotic turns and then the people like kind of speeding past me. It it kind of drives me nuts. So listening to that kind of keeps me mellow for some reason. I don't know. And Justice for All is easily Metallica's greatest album yeah. a lot of people like master of puppets better which is great it. too it's a I wonderful mean, I album like that one too but and justice for all is probably their most perfect album there's some eh, on there but yeah start to finish album. is pretty much amazing yeah it really is <laughs> 65 minutes of uh, well you know it needs a bass they, they need they need the bass player but Just other than that great album please go on <laughs> okay so last year i drove the icy road to yosemite i listened to beck's album morning phase it was a solo trip and i was just driving the empty cold road through the tunnel and it gave me happy tears it was an experience and i think <laughs> i have like an obsession with the experience music sets my mood it doesn't have to always be happy. It could be sad or somber emotions, but working through them with photography and music is something that has helped me through a lot of hard times in my life. You know, I've moved a lot and, you know, I never was like stable in one spot. I went to like seven different schools. So I think music was always like something that I had control of. And I still feel that way to this day. <laughs> uh, I'm not a big <laughs> street photographer, but if I am listening to music, I usually have one ear free. I need to keep aware of my surroundings. But that is just something that I am hyper vigilant about anyways, and always have because that's just how I was raised. So <laughs> I've traveled around the world. I'm very careful. I have good peripheral, <laughs> you know, I know what's happening around me at all times. So I try to obviously be careful. But if I can get away with like, putting a little bit of music while I shoot, I try to. Lately, because we're in quarantine, like I will open the slider to my van and shoot from my van sometimes, or like I'll step down and take two steps. So I'll have like music not blaring because I don't need everybody to listen to my music, but I do like to have music playing. How about you? I just don't. I don't listen to music while I'm shooting, but I will listen to music while I'm driving from place to place to shoot. Mm -hmm. uh, this is why like certain music has a very specific location feel for me. Mm -hmm. So for instance, a Carter family, I think of the, the Utah desert because I listened to them while driving through the Utah desert. Craftwork, it reminds me of Nevada during a snowstorm. Uh, B-52s for me are the grasslands of Wyoming. And there's nothing obvious connecting any of these bands or this music to these places. It's not like I'm biking through Bristol with Mother Maybell or, or driving to Berlin listening to radioactivity. I'm not taking a Greyhound to Athens while Fred Schneider screams. That's wrong! Those things would make sense. I'm talking about creating a new home for these songs. So when I look at the photos of these places, so while this music doesn't really affect the photos so much, 
the photos, when I look at them now, remind me of the music that I was listening to. One of my shots of cows in Wyoming, but they're, they're by a pond. It's forever linked to the B-52's Wild Planet, just, just how it is. I played it tonight, and I thought of that lake. <laughs> Other photos hold different memories for me, depending on the music I was listening to as I stopped the car. But when I'm shooting, I want silence, so like, sort of like Denise said. I want to... Um, not dead silence, but I want to hear the world around me. If anything, it's those sounds, the birds, the wind churning the grasses, the far off sounds of tractors and highways. That's the music that affects the way I shoot. And those sounds are captured by hope in the photos as well. On this episode, we'll be giving a call to Sarah Jean Acker, a film and instant photographer from Columbus, Ohio. The photos she's taken, as well as the photos taken of her, play off each other in ghostly and dramatic ways. They're basically fucking awesome, so let's give her a call. Hello. Hello. (laughs) So how was your day? Yeah, it's been great. Uh, I actually uh, modeled earlier today. I model for an atelier, like a drawing studio. So we're doing a month-long pose. So I model for them like every day during the week right now, which is great. I love it. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Wow, Wow. that's so cool. How you guys been? Uh, I've been fine. I just put a a, a very large bookshelf together today. And that's been, you know... (laughs) It's like putting a very large bookshelf together for the whole day. Yeah. I went surfing today and and then ate a sandwich and (laughs) fell asleep. (laughs) (laughs) Basically the best morning I could possibly want. Can't be that. (laughs) Well, I guess we'll start at the beginning then. Okay. All right. Um, well, could you tell us a bit about yourself and where you see yourself like kind of within the film community? I've been shooting film my whole life because I grew up in the 80s and 90s and <laughs> that's all we had. <laughs> I started doing darkroom when I was in high school. So I was about 16, 17. Um, and then I ended up going to college for darkroom photography and oil painting. Wow. And I've just been doing it ever since. I do try to get new people to shoot film and I usually teach them about 35 millimeter and yeah I shoot all different formats and all different types of expired film so <laughs> if it's expired I'll shoot it <laughs> I had to buy a separate fridge just for my film yep. like because my roommates are like we don't fucking have anywhere to put our food <laughs> Like, yeah, I know. I'm like, I'm sorry about that. So now my film fridge is like in my basement and I can go down there and look at it and go through it. Yeah, I've taken over the like main fridge a little bit and no one said anything yet, but it's going to happen. So I'm like, I need to be able to fit this like somewhere else. (laughs) So you do do a lot of instant films and we definitely wanted to get into that. You have a good amount of portraits indoors and outdoors. What cameras are you using and are you just using available like natural light? I've kind of narrowed it down to my ba- like my core like seven cameras, I guess. <laughs> um, I have uh, a Gunlock Corona 4x5, um, which I've been shooting for several years. It's just an old wooden camera, like a view camera. And then I have the same Gunlock Corona in an 8x10 version. Wow. wow. So like a little mom and a baby. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then I have uh, two Graflex RBs. I have a four by five of that and then a three and a quarter Ooh. by four and a quarter. I absolutely adore those cameras so much. Um, yeah. <laughs> they're so good. I'm just like, I have like a portable four by five. I can just <laughs> shoot it on a whim. Like, <laughs> It's we've, amazing. We've both been coveting um, those, the 4x5RBs. Yeah, I would love one. I Yeah, I just love those, though. And then I also have just, like, a Spartaflex, which is, like, a cheap 120 camera from the 40s. Um, I actually bought one when I was in college at an antique mall for, like, $7. And I just absolutely loved it. And I've hmm. had, like, six different ones oh, since wow. then. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, then I also just have, like, a 35 millimeter <laughs> SLR and then point and shoot too because i always have a point and shoot with me in my book bag like all the time just in case are you using just natural light yeah uh 
I'd say 99.9% of the time. Every now and then I'll have fun with my friends and we'll have some studio lights. But yeah, like I love natural light. Like you could ask anybody that I'm friends with and like all day I just go, oh, I'm like, oh my God, that light. Like I just, <laughs> I just like drool over it. <laughs> so I just can't beat it. Like <laughs> there's those moments and you're like, oh my God, the light's so good right now. <laughs> yeah, and, and people that aren't photographers are like, okay, like cool. It's fine. I don't <laughs> like you don't understand. <laughs> Oh, so okay, you've you've done a lot of modeling, like you said. Do you think that that gives you an advantage over like how to pose people that you're photographing or to get them comfortable in front of the camera? When I'm shooting portraits or something, if it's somebody that I'm not really close with, I definitely have some things that that are helpful to having them be comfortable. It's funny because I don't really model like for photographers that much anymore. Mm. I kind of like have slowly been getting out of that okay. because I I realized I don't really like contrived photographs. <laughs> Um, <laughs> okay, go on. So, I'm just like total, like, I just like documenting stuff. And I feel like a portrait is still like a documentation. I guess you have to sort of set them up sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't really like shooting models, even though I guess I do that sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I more model for like fine artists, like painters, sculptors, and mm-hmm. stuff, which is a little bit different. But I just like shooting, like, real people that are just, like, just hanging out. <laughs> yeah, your photos, they have a more, like, kind of a candid feel to them. Yeah, that's, I, yeah, I definitely prefer that, which is, like, sometimes really hard to do with large format. Definitely, like, talking to the person, or, like, I like making people laugh. Like, I, I usually act really, like, goofy. Um, <laughs> and I don't necessarily tell them when I'm going to take the photo, you know, like... I just like kind of wait for it and then do it when it feels right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just like a very intimate experience, um, especially with friends and, and people that I care about and people that I love. It's a weird thing to like have our photo taken. I think about like 200 years ago and it's like, that was not the case. Like no. I actually really enjoy photographing people that don't have their photo taken that often. I actually started a series like a few years ago, photographing people that are like, really like not interested in having their photo taken i don't know if it's morbid but just to like have a photo of them <laughs> like, like <laughs> just they're like in existence in this like weird two-dimensional <laughs> like paper plane i don't know <laughs> what types of people don't like having their photo taken photographers <laughs> yeah, photographers typically yeah, people okay. that are introverts or shy a okay. lot of times or self-conscious Cause I'm like, yeah, for sure. Like really awkward and uncomfortable. So I'm like, I can definitely understand someone else who feels that way. And I'm usually just like, dude, it's cool. Like, don't worry about it. Like, I'm just like very relaxed and I just try to like have them feel good about themselves. And like, it's just like a little experience. Yeah. So. So when all the pack film is gone, what do you see yourself using? Do you prefer color or black and white? Any films that you prefer? When all the pack film's gone, it'll be a very sad day. I do have a good stock, luckily. Um, but yeah, I I love both black and white and color. Um, I love color slide on a 4x5. I mean, I'd, I would do that all day. A couple of my favorite films are um, Fuji Astia and um, Kodak Elite yeah. Chrome. Yeah, I'll probably just keep shooting black and white and color slide mostly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's always impressive to see your feed, all the peel apart, like pack film. You do that with your 4x5 too, right? Yeah, a lot of 4x5 and also the 8x10, I have pack film. Uh, well, it's not really pack, I guess. Technically, they're single sheets. It's a process. It's really cumbersome. <laughs> you have this like big processor that you have to plug in and take with you everywhere. But it's like, oh, it's so exciting. I just shot with my friends William and Kayla and um, Kevin, we just did like a little mini distance shoot or whatever. And um, I was like kind of showing them how you love the 8x10. And like, I just remember after we like send it through the processor, we're all like, <gasps> like <I'm just> <laughs> it's so exciting. I'm just like, please work. Please work. <laughs> it's great. It's like such a cool feeling when it turns out and you're like, yes, okay. <laughs> Do you share the majority of your work on social media? You seem to shoot a lot, but you don't necessarily post a lot. Yeah, I don't anymore. <laughs> <laughs> what happens to them then? Where do they go? 
<laughs> they go into my binder, mm-hmm. um, which is on my bookshelf. I don't know. I just got a little like uh, a little depressed about social media more recently, and like what people care about. <laughs> Yeah. If I have an image I really love and I share it and then it's like, oh, no one gives a shit. Like, (laughs) you know, then I'm like, why am I, why do I care? Like, I'll just show my family and I'll show my friends and maybe I'll have a show someday. I don't know. But I do, I mean, I'll share like, it's like every now and then I get like a wild hair up my butt and I'll like share a photo. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's maybe a mom saying, I don't know if anyone else's mom say like, well, you get like a wild hair up your butt. I think so. (laughs) My mom would not say that. I like printing stuff too and I'll frame stuff and and hang it here or Mm -hmm. like have a show. You know, I've had a few pieces and shows recently, which is nice. I guess that's kind of traditionally how art went before copying things. Social media is like a real mind fuck. Like I just, uh, most days I just can't get on board. Like, and I like seeing like, other people's stuff you know Mm -hmm. like i'm like oh i like seeing your guys stuff and i'm like oh they're doing great things but i just like for some reason i don't feel like for my stuff i just like feel like it's irrelevant sometimes and maybe that's just like me being self-conscious but i'm just like there's so much stuff going on in the world that i feel like me sharing a photo of like a field just like doesn't matter (laughs) not that I don't know. I don't don't know. I mean, I think there's so much stuff going on in the world that you sharing a photo of a field really fucking matters. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you really kind of have to really, really love something to keep continuing to do it, you know, and then sharing it on like Instagram is even like a whole nother like job almost. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I love shooting and I still shoot and I scan and all that stuff, but I just like, the last step of like posting <laughs> has just fallen a little bit. Maybe I'll try to post more. So do you have any other projects in mind that you're working on? Um, I'm actually working on a couple Super 8 projects right now. Um, I'm in the editing stage for both of them. And I like to add music and stuff. Uh, I'm actually working on a a collaboration with a musician for one of them and then another one I'm gonna write some little like things to go with it sometimes I'll have an idea for a little project but I don't typically like have like specific projects I'm working on at any time Mm -hmm. I just I just shoot whatever (laughs) (laughs) that's okay I take too many pictures of my cat. I could probably make a whole cat book. You should. <laughs> I've been documenting the field across from us. Oh yeah. <laughs> now it's changing. I the first day he was out there with a the chainsaw, I was shooting 35 millimeter out my window like a creep. But <laughs> I was like, I want to document this because it's there's a whole thing, you know, gentrification is a very real thing that's happening like right now in our city. Um, it's extremely noticeable. Hmm. And I just want to document part of it. Um, I actually had to move out of my last place because someone bought it and like raised their rent like 30%. I document actually change in the city a lot. I've been doing that for a few years. I have a few buildings that are like on film that are no longer standing. And that's like an ongoing project that I never thought about as a project. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of, you, you mentioned you went to school for oil painting. Yeah, I I just got my bachelor's in fine art. Um, So I focused mainly on darkroom photography, um, but I also got really into painting. So I did watercolor and learned about oil painting and I ended up just loving it. So Hmm. I also do that. I like to paint. I paint people and then I also just paint like little quiet scenes. I guess I paint the same way I photograph, like just like scenes of light and, and people but I paint like miniatures. I paint really small things. Oh, nice. Yeah. So they're like typically like six inches or smaller on any side. That's a pretty, like I've done like two inch by two inch oil. <laughs> Those, that's so amazing though. <laughs> I painted one with my cat whisker actually. <laughs> Oh, wow. Are you serious? Yeah. (laughs) Like, I just had to get this highlight on this spoon, and I was like, oh, I know the perfect thing. (laughs) 
No, kind of about painting aspect and how your, your photography kind of, you, you kind of paint the same things you photograph. We'll be talking in the next part of our show here about Juliet Margaret Cameron, who was a photographer who kind of photographed things in a very odd way, but they were very much after the masters. She photographed essentially what would have been set up as paintings. I guess in your mind, how does your painting and your, your photography interact? It's it's interesting because sometimes I have trouble deciding if, if I want to paint something or if I want to photograph it. Yeah. Um, and usually what will end up happening is I'll photograph it. Like there's this, okay, so there's this one house. I haven't shared an image of it yet, but I shot it like on multiple cameras because I just kind of became obsessed with it. I just loved it so much. And so I shot it on four by five slide. I shot it on 690 Polaroid. Like, And then I was like, okay, I'm going to take some like photos on my phone too for like references in case I want to paint it. Yeah. And I just, I love it. And I don't know what to do. Like, I'm just <laughs> like, should I still do a painting of it? Should I just say okay i already took a photo of it like i honestly like it's sometimes it's troubling to decide what to do (laughs) what would bring you over the edge to decide to paint it probably if i I honestly i honestly don't know i honestly can't like i don't know how to answer that (laughs) i'm trying to think about what i actually do paint and why i paint it i guess if it if it would gain something from from being a painting I, i don't know if it would I, okay. I mean, maybe if I didn't have a good image of it, I might be like, oh, I can do a painting. Some things I, I don't photograph at all. Like, I like to paint from life. I paint people from life. I paint stills from life. More often than not, I'll paint from life instead of a photo. So since I have an image of it, that's really nice on a 4 by 5 slide. I'm like, ah, I might not paint it. You okay. know, I can't go back to Colorado and paint it right now. So I might mm-hmm. just... So you wouldn't you wouldn't want to paint it from a picture. You'd want to actually be there, experience it, and paint with it in front of you. Ideally, that's what I would prefer. You know, I have painted stuff from photos, but it just, it doesn't feel the same. It doesn't have the same energy um, mm-hmm. usually. So, yeah. So for each episode, we ask our audience to call in uh, and answer a question for our answering machine. So, this episode, we will be asking them and you, what is your daily shooter and why is it your daily shooter? Uh, probably would be my my Graflex RB with the Polaroid back. Um, just because it's easy to carry around and um, I just love the images that I get with it. So, yeah. That makes me so happy that you literally said, like, one of the largest cameras possible is the easiest <laughs> camera to carry around. <laughs> yep. Wonderful. <laughs> it's easy to carry compared to, like, my other <laughs> It's all relative, really. <laughs> I, did, I took my RB 4x5 down to, like, when we were having, like, the Black Lives Matter protests. Mm-hmm. Like, I was just, like, carrying that wow. for quite some time. <laughs> It's amazing. Hurts. Now it's like carrying a brick around. <laughs> thank you so much for talking with yes, us. Yes, thank you and so much. For yeah, we on. look forward. Hopefully, you share some, you know, more pictures from your trip. That would be really awesome to see. Maybe I'll share the house. Uh, yes. yes. Oh my God, we have to see the house now. We have to see the house. All right, I'll do it. I'll do it at some point. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Okay. Well, guys. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs> Julia Margaret Cameron is remembered for her theatrical and soft focus portraits depicting emotions, allegories, and biblical myths. Her photographs, taken in the 1860s and 70s, were staged more like paintings done by Rembrandt and Raphael. Her work was loved by the artists and the poets, but ridiculed by most other photographers. Over the course of a dozen years, Mrs. Cameron produced more than 900 finished photographs. Mrs. Cameron's work was not only influenced by the Victorian era, steeped in legend and stories, but it was also a rebellion against the social norms and expectations upon her. English society in that time was one of individualism, but that individualism still had to play along with the rigid late Victorian norms. For example, it allowed artists to have their own style, but you didn't exactly see ideas like abstract expressionism cropping up. It was also a time when gender roles and norms were strictly enforced in society. Upper-class women were considered 
considered frail and in constant need of help. Because of this, all of the household tasks were taken care of by the servants. All the aristocratic women need do was pay visits to other aristocratic women. This was, or at least should have been, Julia Margaret Cameron's life. Her father was an official of the British government stationed in Calcutta, India, and her mother was from an incredibly wealthy French family. In her 20s, she met Charles, who ran a coffee plantation in what's now Sri Lanka. Over the next 15 years, she gave birth to five children and adopted another. The couple also took in any children in need of a home, from the orphaned children of relatives to a small Irish girl begging on the street. By the early 1840s, she had become the center of colonial Sri Lankan society, and it was here that she first heard of photography through a friend, John Herschel, a chemist and astronomer. With her two eldest children now living in England, the Camerons moved to London, where she met artists and poets like Alfred Tennyson and Henry Taylor. It was in 1860, with Julia in her 40s, when they moved next door to Tennyson, who lived in Freshwater, a small village along the sea. And it was here that she found photography. Julia herself wrote much about this discovery in her essay, Annals of My Glass House. My first lens was given to me by my cherished departed daughter and her husband with words, it may amuse you, mother, to try to photograph during your solitude at Freshwater. The gift I love so tenderly added more and more impulse to my deeply seated love of the beautiful, and from the first moment I handled my lens with tender adore, it has now become to me as a living thing with voice, memory, and creative vigor. Many and many a week in the year 64, I work fruitlessly, but not hopelessly. I longed to arrest all beauty that came before me, and at length the longing had been satisfied. Its difficulty enhanced the value of the pursuit. I began with no knowledge of the art. I did not know where to place my dark box, how to focus my sitter, and my first picture I effaced to my consternation by rubbing my hand over the filmy side of the glass. It was a portrait of a farmer of freshwater who, to my fancy, resembled Bolingbroke. This farmer I paid a half-crown an hour, and after many half-crowns and many hours spent in experiment, I got my first picture and effaced it when holding it triumphantly to dry. I turned my coal house into my darkroom, and a glazed fowl house I had given to my children became my glass house. The hens were liberated, I hope and believe not eaten. The profit of my boys upon new-laid eggs was stopped, and all hands and hearts sympathized with my new labor, since the society of hens and chickens was soon changed for that of poets, prophets, painters, and lovely maidens, who all in turn have immortalized the humble little farm erection. Mrs. Cameron tried photographing two children next, but they broke out in laughter and ruined the shot. She took one aside, this was Annie, and essentially guilted her into behaving. Mrs. Cameron continued, the appeal had its effect and now produced a picture which I called my first success. I was in a transport of delight. I ran over my house to search for gifts for the child. I felt as if she entirely had made the picture. I printed, toned, fixed, and framed it and presented it to her father that same day, size 11 by 9. The portrait she produced was of a young girl with tousled, unbrushed hair. Her face is serious, much like it would be if she had just gotten in trouble for laughing. She wears a dark winter coat and looks off into the distance with half-closed eyelids at an odd angle for a portrait. English novelist Virginia Woolf, who penned an essay on Cameron, wrote of this event. Now she became a photographer. All her sensibility was expressed and, what was perhaps more to the purpose, controlled in the newborn art. With our modern eyes and our understanding that Cameron was a brilliant photographer, we can look at her photos and really see beauty. But technically speaking, they were not quite there. The biggest issue, or feature, depending on your feelings about her work, was the focus. Photographers in the 1860s did everything they could to produce crisp portraits. And looking at any archive of, for example, Civil War portraits, you'll notice that while the edges of the photo will drop off, there's almost an unrealistic crispness to the center. Such was not really the case with Cameron's photography. Later in her life, she reflected upon this thread running through all of her work. I believe that my youngest boy, Henry Herschel, who is now himself a remarkable photographer, told me that my first successes, namely my out-of-focus pictures, were a fluke. That is to say, that when focusing and coming to something which to my eye was very beautiful, I stopped there instead of screwing on the lens to the more definite focus which all other photos insist upon. I think that's really fascinating. Yeah, I like that. Because she wasn't really out to get like most of us. I mean, actually, all of us. us, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. When we look in our lens, we are trying to find what 
what we're focusing upon. I mean, it could be something far in the background or something close up or whatever, or maybe the entire thing wants to be focused. But what she decided to do was just to stop where she wanted to. And that is kind of amazing. (laughs) It is, especially for that time. Now you can do it and it's either ironic or you're kind of playing on something. But then that was a big deal. Mm -hmm. So while Cameron's photos were indeed out of focus, that's not what was really most striking about them. Uh, She didn't merely take portraits. She did something much like painting scenes from literature. And why not? Though photographers were hyper-focused upon realism, painters had for centuries depicted stories from myths, biblical and otherwise. And here, Mrs. Cameron followed. Virginia Woolf commented on this as well. Boatmen were turned into King Arthur, village girls into Queen Guinevere, Tennyson was wrapped in rugs, Sir Henry Taylor was crowned with tinsel, the parlor maid sat for her portrait, and the guests had to answer the bell. Cameron was magnificently uncompromising about her art. Brown stains appeared on her hands, and the smell of chemicals mixed with the scent of the sweet briar in the road outside her house. She cared nothing for the miseries of her sitters, nor for their rank. The carpenter and the crown prince of Prussia alike must sit as still as stone in the attitudes she chose, in the draperies she arranged for as long as she wished. She cared nothing for her own labors and failures and exhaustions. Mrs. Cameron's work could be somewhat divided up into a few genres, though there's really a lot of overlap. Her forte was, of course, portraits. She even did some basically normal-looking ones. For example, the one she did of Charles Darwin. A lot of people have seen it. It's the profile picture of him. Most of her straight portraits, however, were a bit odd by any standard. Take the series she did of Julia Jackson, a neighbor of hers from Freshwater. Julia Jackson was Cameron's goddaughter and mother of Virginia Woolf. She modeled for several other photographers as well. Julia, with her hair in a braid, peers over her left shoulder. Her body clothed in a dark dress with white lace collar more or less faces the camera. Around the frame is an unintentional halo, likely from bad coating. There are cracks and stains from a bad pour. The next photo we'll look at, and you know, we have all of these photos in our show notes, and they're available online. And you'll you'll definitely see them. We'll be sharing them on Instagram as well. The next photo we're looking at will be of Sir Joseph Dalton Hooker. Hooker was a friend of Charles Darwin, who Cameron, like I said, also photographed. And he was known as the father of geographical botany. Darwin worked with Hooker as he discovered natural selection. All of this probably sounds a little boring. However, Hooker's pose, his entire countenance in this photo is just bizarre. So here's a man, he's weirdly leaning forward and kind of to his left. His head is is more or less in focus and framed by a literal neck beard that somehow manages to not be <laughs> facial hair. His incredibly bushy eyebrows seem to be enacting some sort of escape plan. Even his clothes, an open dark jacket over a collared vest, they're just odd. And it makes for a really unsettling, though really delightful portrait. It's one of my favorites of hers. <laughs> It, it's uh, bizarre. I, you guys, uh, yeah, really you, you picked yeah. you picked this one. It's it's definitely something I wouldn't want to wake up and see a no. ghost of this guy. No, if in there my was house. if there was a Mrs. Hooker, God bless her. <laughs> So like we said, there was a lot of crossover between her portraits and her other work, specifically her more allegorical pieces. There is a portrait that you picked called Sadness. Yes, the photo Sadness depicted Ellen Terry on her 17th birthday. She would later become one of the most famous stage actors of her day. Ellen is playing a role of sadness. She leans her head and body against a wall, lightly touching her necklace with her left hand. Her shoulders are exposed and her hair is partially tied back. The image looks like something out of the 1970s rather than the 1870s. Yes, I I do. I love this one. It's a beautiful little kind of light, a very light photo for it. it It's timeless. It is. It is very timeless. And any portrait photographer has done something. Yes, this is. (laughs) Done this picture. (laughs) This definitely is. And even it didn't even originate with her. It, It goes back to to paintings and then to the masters. Mm -hmm. And probably my favorite photo of hers is one called Suspense. While this photo, Suspense, it's striking and beautiful and features a woman named Kate Dorr. The title, I'm not not always sure if Mrs. Cameron had the particular emotions and the title and all that in mind when taking the shot. 
I'm, regardless, this is, I don't know, it is a very striking and catching photo. And it, the image as a whole has a lot of motion in it. And it's like Kate is in mid-stride. It seems like a very candid shot. And obviously it's not because we're really slow at really long exposures. It's almost like Kate doesn't even know the camera is there. Her hair is down and it flows over her shoulders, obscuring most of how she is dressed. Though you can tell there's some kind of blouse or, or a coat. Yeah, ornate kind of color that goes down. It's interesting. Yeah, and a, a bizarre facial expression. Something she also photographed a lot was children. Cameron used a lot of children in her photographs. Most of them ended up being angels or children from Bible legends, sort of spanning the gap between the allegory and her other character pieces, which we'll talk about next. Children were notoriously difficult to photograph, especially when she was trying for a certain look. Most of these photographs depict children looking bored, pissed off, or at best, utterly disinterested. And the one we picked here... Is basically perfect. <laughs> it is. Uh, this is the cover of the book, Julia Margaret Cameron, The Complete Photographs. This one is one they chose to kind of represent her collection as a whole. And I think it really does... <laughs> This perfect. Oh, this poor child in the photo called I Wait. Rachel Gurney, who's maybe, what do you think, eight years old? Probably, if not younger. Yeah, she stares directly at the camera, looking very over whatever is going on. Her arms are crossed. Her hair is, is tangled. A pair of wings nearly surround her like feathered parentheses. Rachel and her sister, Laura, were photographed a great many times by Cameron. Later in her life, Laura recalled, Rachel and I were pressed into the service of the camera. Our our roles were no less than those of two of the angels of the nativity, and to sustain them, we were scantily clad, and each had a pair of heavy swan's wings fastened to her narrow shoulders, while Aunt Julia, with ungentle hand, tousled our hair to get rid of its prim nursery look. No wonder those old photographs of us leaning over imaginary ramparts of heaven look anxious and wistful. This is how we felt, for we never knew what Aunt Julia was going to do next, nor did anyone else. All we were conscious of was that once in her clutches, we were perfectly helpless. While her pieces with children centered mostly on angels, Mrs. Cameron also depicted scenes not just from the Bible, but legends, dramas, and stories. One of the photos I selected for this is called the Madonna Penserosa. Mrs. Cameron made a lot of Madonna photos, like a lot, most of which had her household servant Mary Hillier portraying Mary. This particular photo, well, let's just describe it. There is a mother with a child in her one arm and a child standing next to her. Uh, the mm -hmm. mother's kind of looking downward a little bit. This one looks weirdly familiar to us, and that's because Dorothea Lang's migrant mother photo, which was taken, what, 70 or 80 years after during the Dust Bowl, looks very similar to this. Yeah. We will put both of them side by side for you on, on Instagram at some point. They're in the show notes, like I said. I think most mo mothers are staring off into the distance going, <laughs> what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> at least once in their life. <laughs> I know I have. Cameron was asked to shoot scenes for Alfred Tennyson's Idols of the King, a volume of poetry about Arthurian legends. It was her most ambitious project and took her three months to get 12 shots she liked. In this photo, a bearded Lancelot is dressed in chainmail, holding Guinevere as she burrows her head into his chest. She took a ton of these photos for Tennyson in this complete works book, which is available to download for free from the Getty. Uh, we'll have the link to that. It's a kind of a treasure trove that I found just before we pushing the record button. It's something that, yeah, if you're into this stuff, this is, this is everything. <laughs> she has a lot of these and they're very dramatic. It's, it's almost like stills from a play. Mm -hmm. And so another one that it's kind of out of the ordinary for her, and it really caught my attention, is one called Pray God Bring Father Home Safely. And at first, I didn't, I didn't know what to make of this. It's very strange. I think uh, describing it, it's a, it's a home scene. There, there's a, a family of sorts gathered, sort of gathered, in front of a fireplace with some stuff on the mantle, and there's a hat on the wall and a bellows on the wall. And there's a child at her mother's knee, and the mother's looking down at the child. And a son is being held by a grandfather who's mending a net, kind of holding him. And the child's, the, the boy's face is a little blurry. Mrs. Cameron often used props in her work, but 
this setting like an entire scene like this is something really out of the ordinary for, and I don't know much about this photo. Everything is still and in focus, which is odd for her, except for the boy's head, which was moving when the picture was taken. So all the photos we've mentioned here, again, they will be available in the show notes and on our website, as well as on Instagram, and we'll have links to this larger gallery, a bunch of links. Just pay attention and you'll, you'll be able to find them. Like most photographers at the time, Mrs. Cameron used the wet plate collodion process, shooting on glass-coated with emulsion. This emulsion was slow, which required incredibly long exposures. The style and appearance of her photos had as much to do with lighting as it did the costumes and props. This natural lighting gave her scenes a much more dramatic look. However, because of this, it was normal for her subjects to have to sit for up to seven minutes. Nearly all of her photos held a striking blur to them. While she attributed this to her simply not knowing how to use the camera, that excuse only held true for her beginnings. After that, she seemed to just lean into it. Technically speaking, since she shot in very low light, she needed to have the aperture of the lens all the way open. This created a very shallow depth of focus. If she was even a hair off, nothing would be sharp. Typically, there is a bit of sharpness in her photos here or there, but most of the image is just blurry. There is little she could really do to prevent this apart from using artificial light or maybe much longer exposures. As has been hinted, sitting for Mrs. Cameron was no easy chore. One who had the honor recalled, The studio, I remember, was very tidy and very comfortable. Mrs. Cameron put a crown on my head and posed me as the heroic queen. This was somewhat tedious, but not half as bad as the exposure. Mrs. Cameron warned me before it commenced that it would take a long time, adding, with a sort of half-groan, that this was the sole difficulty she had to contend with in working with large plates. The difficulties of development she did not seem to trouble about. The exposure began. A minute went over, and I felt as if I must scream. Another minute, and the sensation was as if my eyes were coming out of my head. A third, and the back of my neck appeared to be afflicted with palsy. A fourth, and the crown, which was too large, began to slip from my forehead. A fifth. But here I utterly broke down. For Mr. Cameron, who was very aged and had unconquerable fits of hilarity, which always came in the wrong places, began to laugh audibly. And this was too much for my self-possession, and I was obliged to join the dear old gentleman. When Mrs. Cameron, with the assistance of Mary, the beautiful girl who figured in so many of her pictures, and notably in the picture called the Madonna, bore off the gigantic dark slide with the remark that she was afraid I had moved, I was obliged to tell her that I was sure I had. The first picture was nothing but a series of wobblings, and so was the second. The third was more successful, though the torture of standing for nearly ten minutes without a headrest was something indescribable. One thing she didn't really do much of was portrait work for hire. On the contrary, she seemed flat out against it. Once a wealthy young woman wrote to inquire, Miss Lydia Louisa Summerhouse Duncans informs Mrs. Cameron that she wishes to sit to her for her photograph. Miss Lydia Louisa Summerhouse Duncans is a carriage person, and therefore could assure Mrs. Cameron that she would arrive with her dress uncrumpled. Should Miss Lydia Louisa Summerhouse Donkins be satisfied with her picture, Miss Lydia Louisa Summerhouse Donkins has a friend, who is also a carriage person, who would also wish to have her likeness taken. Mrs. Cameron replied to Miss Lydia Louisa Summerhouse Donkins, stating that Mrs. Cameron, not being a professional photographer, regretted she was not able to take her likeness, but that had Mrs. Cameron been able to do so, she would very much prefer having her dress crumpled. Her work was clearly enjoyed and even sought after, but not everyone appreciated her style. The Journal of the Photographic Society of London wrote that, Mrs. Cameron exhibits her series of out-of-focus portraits of celebrities. We must give this lady credit for daring originality, but at the expense of all other photographic qualities. A true artist would employ all the resources at his disposal, in whatever branch of art he might practice. In these pictures, all that is good in photography has been neglected, and the shortcomings of the art are prominently exhibited. We are sorry to have to speak thus severely on the works of a lady, but we feel compelled to do so in the interest of art. Cameron was well aware of this, writing, The Photographic Society of London in their journal would have dispirited me very much had I not valued that criticism at its worth. It was unsparing and too manifestly unjust for me to attend to it. The more lenient and discerning judges gave me a large space upon their walls, which seemed to invite the irony and spleen of the printed notice. Much of this spleen was vented by the Photographic News, a weekly rag out of Fleet Street. What in the name of all the nitrate of silver that ever turned white into black have these pictures in common with good photography? Smudged 
torn, dirty, undefined, and in some cases almost unreadable. There is hardly one of them that ought not to have been washed off the plate as soon as it appeared. We cannot but think that this lady's highly imaginative and artistic efforts might be supplemented by the judicious employment of a small boy with a wash leather, and a lens screwed a trifle less out of accurate definition. This harsh criticism must have weighed on her at some point. In her writing, she references with more than a dash of bitterness coming in third and then second in photography contests. Like any of us, she needed support in her work. That support came from her friends, the poets, the actors, the dramatists, and mostly from Charles, her husband and partner. Cameron herself wrote of Charles's thoughts. My husband, from first to last, has watched every picture with delight, and it is my daily habit to run to him with every glass upon which a fresh glory is newly stamped, and to elicit his enthusiastic applause. This habit of running into the dining room with my wet pictures has stained such an immense quantity of table linen with nitrate of silver, indelible stains, that I should have been banished from any less indulgent household. Her husband's support didn't come just in the form of nodding along and forgiving the stains on the linen. It was from the discussions together as equals that the thoughtfulness and artfulness of her work took form, in particular the relationship between vision and touch. Mrs. Cameron's images look the way they do, not only because her eye, but because of how she handled her negatives. We are often careful not to scratch or damage our negatives, but Mrs. Cameron saw beauty in this. These accidental flaws were all part of her process. They were souvenirs of the sitting and of the developing. When questioned about her blemishes, Mrs. Cameron once replied, As to the spots, they must, I think, remain. I could have them touched out, but I am the only photographer who always issues untouched photographs, and artists for this reason, amongst others, value my photographs. In the end, she seemed to value only the criticisms of those she loved. I must confess that when those whose judgment I revered have valued and praised my works, my heart has leapt up like a rainbow in the sky, and I have renewed all my zeal. In 1875, nearly a dozen years after taking her first photo, Julia Margaret Cameron and her husband Charles moved back to Sri Lanka. They took with them a cow, her camera, her darker equipment, and two coffins. She continued to produce a few photos, 30 of which remain, but generally her work dropped off. It's possible that Freshwater and the poets were her muse, and once they were gone from her life, the inspiration left with them. The end of her life came in 1879 at the age of 64. As Virginia Woolf later described it, the birds were fluttering in and out of the open door, the photographs were tumbling over the tables, and, lying before a large open window, Mrs. Cameron saw the stars shining, breathed the one word, beautiful, and so died. With each episode we do, we do our very best to review photography zines. We have done this almost every episode since we started and absolutely love it. <laughs> uh, this episode is no different. We have two zines for you. Hey, Vanya. Yes. <laughs> hey, Vanya. <laughs> What's the zine that you've got for us? The Bulldoze Future by Ryan Burkweil. It's 16-page mm. full color. And I just wanted to say I really connected with this. Ryan decided to photograph a neighborhood that is set to be demolished and forgotten. That is something we all know here, at least in Los Angeles. The green fence of death, fencing off one of these beautiful beach bungalows, might be the saddest thing for me personally. It will be replaced by a McMansion on 2,000 square feet. It's absolutely insanity, but I guess that's <laughs> progress. So as he puts it, the bulldoze future dedicates itself to documenting the ever-changing urban la landscape around Korea to shine a light on the neglected and soon-to-be-demolished neighborhoods before they are raised and wiped from people's collective memories. These images serve in a way of visual obituary that expresses the variety of feelings from lightheartedness to bleakness, sometimes both at the same time. The photos themselves are quite good, and every page is interesting to look at. There is a foreign aspect to them, obviously, since I live in the States, but also a familiarity of the things that people leave behind. Books, clothes, pictures, personal effects of the people who occupied this space. I wonder what made the people leave all these things behind, amongst the shards of broken glass. It seems wasteful, so much garbage to be sent off, to restart the process of rebuilding once again. In 50 more years, will it continue the same cycle? If you would like a copy of The Bulldoze Future, you can find it at longdistancerunner.org, among more of Ryan's photography. All of the information will be available in the show notes. 
The zine I have this time around is called Twinlands Challenge. So over the past summer, 23 photographers were given three rolls of black and white film, each to shoot in their twin lens reflex cameras. Cool. Yeah. This was put on by Negative Positives Podcast and the Classic Camera Revival Podcast, as well as the Toronto Film Shooters. The photos were submitted and voted upon by the group, and each photographer has two photos in the zine. This makes for a pretty huge, but not not unwieldy, publication of 46 photos that have never appeared anywhere else before. I love that about some zines. I don't mind seeing photos that are like on Instagram or whatever appearing in print, because print is always better. But seeing photos that just don't exist anywhere else... Ah, I love it. I love it. Most of the photos in here have details and the descriptions of the camera, the film, development, and most often a a story to go along with it. There are a lot of names that I recognize, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners recognize as well. HP5 looks to be the most popular emulsion, though Ultrafine, Retropan, and Acros have some pretty strong showings. As far as cameras went, we're looking at a lot of Roloflexes and Yashikas, which is not a huge surprise, but there are a couple of folks shooting those Mamiya C series that I stupidly sold uh, a few <laughs> years ago. The zine can be gotten at danielnovakphoto.com. It was Daniel who, who I guess kind of at least printed it and got it all out and is dealing with the, the business end of things. And we'll post the link to that in the show notes. It's only eight bucks. Wow, that's so good. It's really worth it. I love collaboration zines, putting them together. God, it's a huge pain in the ass. And yeah, and that's why we haven't done one. Yeah, well, and it's from like so many places. Yeah, yeah, there's photographers from Canada, United States, Ireland, Scotland, Czech Republic. It's really wonderful. Very cool. If you'd like to support our podcast, you can... (laughs) Sorry. It was that... It was the Victorians. I'm telling you, it was the fucking Victorians. If you'd like to support our podcast, you can head over to patreon.com slash all through a lens. We've got bonus episodes, full length interviews, and a growing number of things. We do. So we have three new patrons to welcome to the fold this this time around. Who do we have? Anne Holland. Yeah, we got Tobias. Ooh, and Oliver Kritz. Yes, and thank you so much for that. We really, really do appreciate it. This episode, our featured patron is Michael Dales at mdales on Instagram. We normally take a look at their Instagram account, and but this time, which you can if you like, and please do, it's at mdales on Instagram. I got a zine of his from a little while back called Initial frames. It's a, it's a pretty big square zine. The photos are very varied, and I love zines like this. It kind of takes you through his his life. Uh, some are black and white, some of them are in color, there's some reflection, there's street signs, there's just a bunch of really wonderful photos, and I really recommend this zine as well. It's kind of we're doing a, a third little a little zine review here. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think of his stuff? Oh, no, they're great. He also is super into music, so you'll see him playing. He's just a fun follow, and I mean, he loves coffee, so he's awesome. <laughs> 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 These the it's called initial frames. These are photos from his first six rolls that he's ever done. <gasps> That's amazing. Yeah, it really is. And so check him out. It's at M Dales on Instagram. So Michael Dales, he has a website and a blog, and that's where you can get the zine. And I, I really do recommend it. So thank you, Michael, for your support, and thank you to all the patrons for their support. And that's about all the podcasts we've got for you today. But before we go, we'd like to remind you about the answering machine question for the next episode. Vanya, what is that? What is your daily shooter? Yes. (laughs) Pretty simple question. Pew, pew. Explain why is it your daily shooter? And if the answer is you don't have one or you don't know, then... And is there anything else you'd like to say, Vanya? Yes. If you'd like to contact us, we're at allthroughalens.podcast on Instagram. By email, it's allthroughalens.podcast at gmail, and we're allthroughalens on Twitter. We're still on there. Heyo. Vanya is at surfmartian. And Eric is at conspiracy.of.cartographers. Both on Instagram. And speaking of Instagram, make sure to hashtag your stuff. Hashtag allthroughalenspodcast to be featured. We also do a Spotify playlist for each episode, so check those out and see what we're listening to. Just search allthroughalens. You can also find our episodes on Spotify as well as on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and wherever the hell else you find podcasts. 
subscribe to us, and leave us a review. The music you're hearing now is from Last Regiment of Syncopated Drummers, which you can find at lastregiment.com. And thank you all so much for listening. We love you, and see you in a couple of weeks. Vanya? <laughs> yes? Do you want to go out and shoot? Fuck yeah, I do. Let's go! Back half. Second half. Back off. Back off. Back off.